This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL75. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, November 9th, and we're going to try to figure out what's got Chinese tech stocks down. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Danny Venna. Danny, what's going on? Oh, it's another sunny day in San Diego, and I'm still trying to recover from the uh, change in time. The change in time gets us all. I'm happy to have you back on the show. Uh, We talked about some of the companies we're going to be discussing today a couple months back. It only seems natural that I bring you back on to make that conversation whole. Happy to do it. <laughs> so uh, the reason we're chatting is, Danny, the, the popular Chinese tech stocks have gotten absolutely hammered so far in 2018. You look at some of the major companies and their year-to-date returns: Alibaba down 20%, Tencent down 30%, Baidu down 20%. These are names that a lot of fools follow, um, and they are some of the big players in the Chinese tech space. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 is around a one or two percent gain for the year. A huge delta there. There's a lot to unpack. Why don't we talk a little bit about what's going on with the sell-off of Chinese stocks and and what's leading to this landscape that we've seen so far in 2018? Well, Dylan, there are a number of things that that are affecting Chinese equities. Generally speaking, there's been a lot of fear for a while now about the potential for a slowdown in China's economic growth. Um, Now, that's likely been exacerbated by the ongoing saber-rattling that's happening between Washington and Beijing, um, you know, the the escalating trade tensions. Um, Now, evidence of that, uh, last week, President Trump tweeted, uh, just had a long and very good conversation with President Xi Jinping of China. We talked about many subjects with a heavy emphasis on trade, and those discussions are moving along nicely. Um, and in response to that tweet, um, a number of Chinese stocks jumped significantly, um, you know, between 5 and 15%, many of them. Even after that jump, the Shanghai Composite Index is down, you know, 20% so far in 2018. So between the potential for slowdown in China's economic growth, the increasing trade tensions between the United States and China, and then also there's some heightened regulation that has been happening in China around some of the segments that are core to these companies. Um, in their home country of China, and we're going to talk more about that later. Yeah, so so the big picture story here is there are some macro changes that are happening. Some, I think, that have run a little counter to the narrative that investors have gotten used to for quite some time, right? For a long time, we've been kind of sold this pitch of, you know, there's this emerging middle class in China, purchasing power is going up. We're going to see them move more and more to a consumer oriented uh, economy, and, and that should bode really well. Uh, for a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, for a lot of companies in the gaming and social media space, because of the ad opportunity there. Um, and then, on top of that, maybe some of the less expected, but now a very real element of, of the macro picture, uh, the tariff situation and kind of the escalating potential trade war uh, that, that has been going on, and the uncertainty surrounding all that. Uh, a lot to unpack, and, and maybe a little bit 
and stuff that might catch investors off guard a bit. Yeah, there is a lot going on, and this is not, you know, a lot of this has been talked about before, and it's just really coming to a head now with the significant slowdown in Chinese stocks over the past few months. The two companies that we really want to drill down into on today's show, uh, one of the ones I mentioned earlier, Tencent, and then uh, a relatively new company to investors, iQIYI. Two slightly different stories there, but two companies that are both exposed to um, some very niche-specific issues as well when it relates to China. Um, Why don't we start out talking about iQIYI? In the time since we have first talked about this company, and this is going back, I believe, about five months or so, iQIYI has doubled and then slowly worked its way back down to earth. And if you look at the stock price today, shares are basically trading where they were when we first discussed the company, Danny. That's true. If I if I remember correctly, the the stock IPO'd somewhere around eighteen dollars a share, and in that first day of trading, it sunk down to about fifteen dollars and change. And then it skyrocketed uh, somewhere around 170, 580% in the months that followed. And since then, um, I think we're currently tra- it's trading about $21 a share. So it's up you know, several percentage points from where it IPO'd, but not the stratospheric gains that we had seen previously. And as a reminder for anyone that maybe hasn't heard of this company, though coverage has been pretty hard to avoid, uh, this is the Netflix of China. It is really the leading video streaming company out there, um, and it has some pretty big backing when you think about the Chinese tech space. That's true. Um, the The company that most investors would be familiar with in China is Baidu, um, which is often called the Google of China. And iQIYI is a company that was spun off earlier this year from Baidu, although Baidu still owns a controlling stake in the company. And so, you have this spin-out, which investors have historically done quite well following uh, company spin-outs. And then, you also have this very powerful, very large parent company and company that has exposure is basically a pure play on one of the most compelling growth stories, uh, I think, really of the decade in, in the streaming and kind of decentralization of entertainment. All of that builds to huge hype after shares hit the public market. And I think that's really why we've seen what we've seen in 2018. You know, as we talk about new IPOs and investors really getting their first chance to get their hands on shares, we often say that it's good to wait a little bit. And that if you are going to invest, it's good to do it with small bites over time. Because the reality is, when you have a new issuance like this, particularly one with so much hype behind it, there's going to be a lot of volatility. And you have the, the pent up demand, which is a huge part for sure, but you also have very low supply. And you know, in the case of IGE, you know, right now, I think only 29% of shares are available for trading. That's, that's the float of the stock. And that's after an 180 day lockup. For insiders that came with the IPO process. So, for a very long period, you had a very short supply and some outrageous demand. And that was doing some really funky things with the share price. That's why we saw that really astronomical double so quickly. And I think, you know, whenever you 
call a company the X of China, whatever that is, whether it's the Google of China or the Netflix of China. You know, that drums up a lot of interest from investors. Um, and it bears noting here that actually Aichi, while it does have a subscription-based service and exclusive original content, it also has an ad-supported segment um, for people that are not interested in paying um, you know, the monthly subscription fee. And so it, this model is actually more akin to Hulu than it is to Netflix, but it still gets all the Netflix hype. Yeah, absolutely. And while we're a little removed from the crazy days of iCheese trading, um, we have seen some recent sell-offs uh, over the past month or so. And I think a lot of that was really tied to some of the news that came out with the company's most recent results uh, when they reported earnings. And frankly, like I thought the numbers looked pretty good. Uh, the immediate reaction from Wall Street, though, seems to disagree. Well, if let's look at some of the numbers first. In when you look at the revenue, I mean, overall revenue was up 48% year over year. Um, subscription membership revenue was up 78% year over year. But the advertising revenue was down 4%. Um, and that seems to be one of two things that investors focused on. Um, now, the reason that advertising revenue was down 4%, there were two big factors that played into that. Uh, the first was the FIFA World Cup soccer championships that not only, you know, uh, captivated the United States, but also all across Europe, across China, across the world, really. Um, and as a result of that, there were a lot of ad dollars on linear TV uh, as a result of the FIFA World Cup. Um, yeah, and so, so, so the story there, Danny, is that in, in lieu of... Uh, ad money going to this streaming company, it was instead going kind of to tr to more traditional broadcast. That that's exactly right. Um, now there was an, another thing that the company reported. They said certain high risk profile sectors, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this later. But essentially, many of the um, video game companies in China have been laying off some of their advertising dollars. Um, and we can talk about why that is here shortly. And that's really just the natural continuation of what we've been seeing in the ad market in China over the last couple of years. You know, this is something that has bitten a lot of these companies where um, I think the regulatory environment is realizing more and more, hey, you know we we really need to be a little bit more careful about what people are being served up. I think this started with a lot of the kind of health and wellness products that were being promoted on some of these major social media platforms. Uh, it seems like the government has kind of turned its gaze to gaming and maybe the impact that that's having on people's lives. Um, a little different, but but clearly something that they are focused on as well, and that's having an adverse effect on the advertising revenue coming in for IGE. But if you're the optimist, and and I am here, you know, you go back a year. Membership revenue and advertising revenue were it was basically where Aichi was making all of its money. You fast forward now, their content distribution segment is up 220% year over year. Their other segment, which is where they get their online gaming revenue, content merchandising, all that kind of stuff, up 150% year over year. So instead of this business being super reliant on two segments to drive most of their results, we are now seeing that they have four segments that each contribute over 10% to revenue. Uh, I view that as a pretty good thing, and I look at those growth rates, and I'm like, man, that's pretty strong growth we're seeing. 
You know, I've been excited about Aichi ever since. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the first articles I did when I started writing for the Fool was about the opportunity that existed for Baidu um, in this streaming segment that it had, um, which at the time was was relatively unknown. Aichi, uh, well, I should say relatively unknown outside of China. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, I thought that was a huge opportunity then, and it has grown gangbusters since then. Um, now, the other thing that threw investors off about um, their report was the fact that its cost of revenue grew 66% year over year. Um, and that's a huge bump, but it's all got to do with content costs. They're taking a page from the Netflix playbook and they are investing huge amounts of money in their own uh, owned original content, um, building out that library of things for the future. And it costs a lot of money up front, but it pays dividends down the road. Yeah. And if you were a little worried about this, you know, I can understand that, but you can also look so easily to the Netflix model and say, well, this has worked pretty darn well for this company. It's easy to buy into this strategy long term, especially when you're operating in an economy that has a huge addressable market and a government that's pretty keen on protecting the local companies. And that that's why a lot of the companies that we see in China and, and Baidu and, and Tencent are both great examples. Um, of companies that have a large captive market. Um, they get very little competition from companies in the United States. Uh, and, and that's a huge competitive advantage for them. Yeah. And just another point of strength, I think, from this earnings release, um, and maybe something that can give investors that bought shares maybe at higher cost basis uh, a little reason to relax here, is you look at the company's subscriber base, uh, it grew almost 90% year over year. It's up to 80 million now. Uh, they have a very high monetization rate on those subscribers. 98% of subscribers are paying members, uh, and increasingly the company is relying on them to help fuel this content spend, very much like Netflix did in early days. A absolutely, and it doesn't hurt them that they have, uh, you know, these ad. This free ad-supported segment, and they use that as a funnel um, to entice uh, these, you know, free ad-supported subscribers or these free ad-supported members, people that are watching it without paying the fee. They see some of the, you know, premium content that's available to subscribers, and that helps them to make the decision to pony up the several dollars a month. It, it costs them to become, you know, full-fledged paying subscribers. I actually wound up ponying up a couple of dollars this month myself, Danny. I uh, I decided to buy my second batch of shares uh, shortly after the company reported earnings because I looked at the results and said, you know what, uh, stock sold off 10% on this, but this really does not seem to be uh, nearly as much of a problem as the market is making it out to be. And my long-term commitment with this with this stock in particular was. I'm going to add opportunistically over time, understanding that the price is going to move around quite a bit, and uh, my cost basis might swing pretty wildly. But uh, by doing small bites over time, I'm going to kind of dollar cost average into a position uh, that I'm going to be pretty happy with over the next couple of years. I think that's a wise way to go about it. Um, I 
bought a, a large tranche just going in, watched it more than double, watched it come back down, but I'm, I'm watching it closely for, you know, watching the metrics. I, I think the subscriber growth is going to be key going forward, just like it is for Netflix. And as the company, you know, learns other ways to monetize that content through um, merchandise, through content distribution, um, through uh, partnerships that it has with other uh, outlets. I, I think Aichi has a, a really long runway ahead of it. Yeah, and so many of the growth levers for this business are not as impacted by the regulation that is hampering one of its specific business segments. You know, that is one of the things that we come back to is yes, advertising struggling, but so many of these other segments are doing very well. Seems like the company is able to post really strong growth even in spite of that, which keeps me pretty optimistic. Uh, the company that we are going to be talking about on the back half of the show, Tencent, uh, is also running into some regulatory issues and their impacting results. Uh, we're going to get over to that discussion. But before we do, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier. It reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule replaces 50 years of antiquated technology. The HEPA filter technology that's been used to clean your air was developed in the 1940s, and there haven't been many major innovations since. Now, Molecule's PECO technology, that's their photoelectrochemical oxidation, goes beyond the HEPA filter system to both capture and eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. That includes pollutants a thousand times smaller than what the HEPA filter can catch. Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, helps them better cope with their conditions, and significantly reduce their symptoms. One customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to, quote, breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. The company's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people, and verified by third parties in university labs like the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory. Its products are easy to use, and they have a clean and sleek design, from the materials used on the device, like its sleek aluminum shell, to a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. The Molecule team sent a model over to HQ for us to try out, and the podcast hosts were literally fighting to take it home. Michael Douglas, former podcast host for The Financial Show, had it for a night. Vince Shen of The CG Show for Industry Focus had it for a night. Market Foolery's Chris Hill had it for a night. And of course, analyst Jim Mueller, and this is a story that has gone around HQ, had it for a night and decided to come back and order one the next day. He was so convinced. That whole episode has taught me two things. One, the folks that work on the podcast at The Fool seem to have a lot of allergies. And two, on top of looking modern and sleek, this air purifier is awesome. Listeners, if you want to get $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL75. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and the promo code FOOL75. All right, Danny, uh, we mentioned that while the results haven't necessarily been as blistering as maybe some investors would like for IGE, uh, the company has been able to stay afloat and post some pretty awesome growth thanks to a lot of other segments that are outside of the scope of current Chinese regulators. Not necessarily the case with Tencent. This is true. Um, reports emerged earlier this year 
that the regulatory body that was in charge of video game approval in China had frozen those approvals and there hadn't been any video games, new video games approved since March, if memory serves correctly. Um, now, there were a number of reasons that were given for that at the time. Um, what we have since found out is that there is a new regulatory body that is responsible for video game approvals, uh, the State Administration of Press and Publication, and that is a change. It used to be that the, um, the video games were approved by one large um, regulatory body that was in charge of all media in China. Now that, uh, that uh, division has been broken down into multiple uh, different uh, regulatory bodies. Um, and courtesy of the South China Morning Post, um, it's reporting that the agency will implement controls on the total number of online video games, control the number of new video games operated online, and explore an age-appropriate reminder system in line with China's national conditions and take measures to limit the amount of time minors spend on games. That's a lot of government speak right there, Danny. <laughs> that sounds like regulators uh, telling them it, how it's going to be. It is indeed. <laughs> um, and the reason that this has really hit this company so much is uh, video games and, and mobile gaming was seen as one of the major growth drivers for them. They have a lot of they have access to a lot of very popular and successful franchises that they were hoping to bring to the Chinese market. Uh, and investors were really hoping that they would go to the Chinese market because they have proven so successful in other markets. Uh, and we've basically just had to hit pause on that. Right. And Tencent, I, just to put this into perspective, they are the world's largest video game producer. And a large chunk of their revenue comes from the publishing and the ongoing revenue that comes from the sales of these video games for add-on um, updates, etc. Uh, and what what has happened is is with this massive pause, that this freeze in the approval of video games, um, Tencent's really taken it on the chin. Um, if you look at their results from the quarter that ended about three months ago, and they're due to report here on the 14th of November. Uh, what what you see is that their revenue was up 39% year over year. At first glance, you go 39% companies would be you know would would love those results. However, that's down from 57% year over growth in the prior year quarter. Um, at the same time, their adjusted profits only grew 24% compared to the 43% that they did in the year ago period. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big uh, deceleration of their revenue growth, and it's all related to uh, them not being able to put out new video games. Danny, to me, this is the kind of thing uh, that reminds me of a hardware company saying, you know, we thought we were going to release it in this quarter, but actually we're going to release it in next quarter, where the core thesis for this company more or less remains the same so long as this is a short-term issue. Uh, you know, I think that by and large, Chinese regulators would like to allow these companies to bring in massively popular titles and let their citizens play them. Um, 
I'm sure the citizens are, are certainly vying for that. Um, and so I think about this. I'm like, well, if we're going to have to wait until approvals come in maybe mid early 2019, maybe late 2019, it's really more a matter of timing. I, I think the reality is that the video game segment for Tencent, while it hasn't posted the growth that we would have liked to see, will return to some pretty solid growth down the road. And oh yeah, by the way, they happen to own you know one of the most important social media platforms in the meantime. That that's true. Um, now, one thing I did want to point out that that uh, you know we kind of unpacked from that uh, government speak um, that we reviewed earlier. One of the things that has resulted from that, Tencent announced uh, earlier this week that it plans to verify the identities of all of its players, um, and then it's going to begin limiting playing time. So for children that are 12 years and younger are going to be limited to one hour of gameplay per day, and those between 13 and 18 years old will only be allowed to play for two hours a day. Um, and this is China's um, opportunity to step in, and you know they, they've been looking at how much children are playing video games and looking at the growing levels of gaming addiction that's being reported around the world. Um, and this is their way to, to combat that. Now, in all fairness, that there have been reports that other countries uh, like uh, Korea, have tried to implement similar measures, and what they found was that kids were borrowing family members' uh, phones and uh, other devices in order to bypass the regulation. So we'll we'll see what comes of it. But that that is one important aside there that you know if if you start limiting the game playing time of you know some of the younger uh, members. I, that may have an impact on their growth going forward. Yeah, if uh, spending the holidays with my younger cousins is any indication, uh, if you try to separate a kid from technology, they will find a way to make it happen. Um, I do think that you know we we might see a more deliberate approach, like you mentioned. Um, we might see growth that is kind of capped at a certain ceiling, but once these really popular titles start working their way back into the country. Um, I think that that will really reignite growth for this company. Um, and we focus this conversation really on Tencent, but I think you could apply a lot of the logic here to Baidu and Alibaba as well. I think for these three companies in particular, there is a snap test element, right? Where uh, this is something that goes around the fool. I think I've heard David Gardner and the investing team talk about this. You know, if you snapped your fingers and this company disappeared overnight, would people notice? And in the case of Tencent, Alibaba, and Baidu, absolutely. You know, these companies are so entrenched in consumer culture and in everyday life. There, um, they're not going anywhere. I think this is really just a matter of timing. They've had an unfortunate run recently, uh, and that's really hit the stocks. But you know, just a testament to buying over time and kind of slowly working into positions. And to put that in the perspective of you know investors that are are more. U.S. focused. Um, if you think about it, that that would be similar to companies like Google, companies like Activision, Netflix. Um, you know, if if those companies disappeared off the face of the earth, yeah, absolutely, investors would notice. And that at these these companies are the standard in China. 
And as I'm gearing up for the weekend, Danny, I hope that those companies don't go anywhere because I have plenty of content that I want to see. Uh, thanks for hopping on the show today. Anything else before I let you go? No, I, I ho- have a great weekend and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, catch up with you soon, Danny. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocusatpool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or you can check out the videos of these podcasts over at our YouTube channel. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Steve Broido for all his work behind the glass today. For Danny Venna, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.